Well, today, uh, I don't want to say too much about the message because I have a, a, a view that if you have expectations and they're not met, it's disappointment. But I was here for the first service, and um, you're getting ready to hear one of the best messages you'll ever hear. So don't, you won't be disappointed, I can assure you. I'm going to sit through it for a second time because I need it. Um, Steve King... Uh, has been at Cherrydale Baptist Church for about 36, 37 years. He's now Pastor Emeritus, which is the same thing that I am, only he's working harder than I am. And uh, after you hear this message, you're going to say, why can't he be your successor? Because he's got gray hair, real gray hair. But at any rate, um, this is an amazing message. And Steve and I have been friends for about 37 years, ever since he's been at Cherrydale. And we've been back and forth. I spoke at one of their missions conferences years ago, and he's been at our church several times. Uh, he's married to Maybell, and they have two boys, Joshua and Caleb. Uh, but I will tell you, the one thing I just love about Steve is his love for Jesus and his ability to take the word and really teach it well. So let's welcome Steve King. I love Mike Mentor. He has been a mentor to me, the uh, first pastor I met when I came to the area, and uh, if I were not pastoring a church, I'd be right here under his leadership. Thank God for Mike Mentor, and I'm praying for this church. We have a real bond, Cherrydale and Reston Bible. We're praying for you. You'll find a nuts. Who's going to replace Mike Mentor? I mean, Lord, have mercy on him. So... <laughs> Would you pray with me, and let's prepare our hearts. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for its power. Thank you for its practicality. And Lord, I pray that you'd take your word, drive it deep into our hearts. May this ripple through generations for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We're in Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Turn in your gadgets, or if you have a real Bible, uh, Matthew 21, 18 to 35. It's a parable. A parable means lay down beside. You put a story beside you, and you should have aha moments. Parables are like windows. You look through, and you see God and truth. It's like a mirror. It shows you about yourself. And I want to talk to you today about what we all have in common, every one of us, no matter your background, your age, where you're from, we all have this in common. Every one of us have been hurt, wounded, offended, treated unjustly by other people. And all God's people said, amen. So the issue is, are we going to forgive them or not? That is the issue. And some people in this room have been hurt so bad, when somebody pushes you should forgive, you're thinking that's unreasonable, it's unrealistic, that's enabling, you push back. Others of you may be denying that you have a forgiveness issue, but your body is telling on you. It's why you're anxious. It's why your relationships are broken. It's why you believe the worst about people. It shapes your attitude. You can't sleep at night. It's affecting your health. On the other hand, we're in a culture that more and more labels those who forgive as wrong. Some have even said, if you do that, you're enabling oppressors. It's weak people who do that. It's past. So here's something else we all have in common, every one of us. We desperately need to know from God's word why we should forgive people. Why? Do you know the answer? And how do you do it? And what about justice? Now, here's the good news. Every one of those are in this passage. This should be your go-to passage on the issue of forgiveness every single time. So I want to ask you, know this passage. It's coming from the lips of Jesus. 
And the last word in the text, it's like an upside-down pyramid. It's building, 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 boom, to that word. And look at your Bible and tell me out loud what that word is. That was weak. <laughs> look at your Bible and tell me out loud what that word is. Heart. Forgiveness from the heart. That's what this is all about. It's forgiveness from the heart. Coming from Jesus, and we're going to make this easy to remember. So I want to ask you to take notes, pay attention, and go out this week and teach this to somebody else. And here's why. If you'll do that, it will stick. It'll become your go-to passage. There are four C's, four words that begin with the letter C. The four C's on forgiveness from Jesus Christ to us who say we love him and want to follow him. So the first one is in verses 21 to 22, and I'll give you the answer. Forgiveness from the heart is countless. Say that with me. Forgiveness from the heart is is countless. Listen to what it says. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. His point, forgiveness is countless. Now step into Peter's sandals and this passage will come alive. Peter had just heard Jesus say what is right before this passage. And here's what he heard Jesus say. If your brother sins against you, Peter's probably thinking, yeah, well, these dudes have sinned against me. If your brother sins against you, then you go in private. Don't go telling anybody else. Go in private, appeal to your brother, and if he listens, you've won your brother. Hallelujah. But what if he won't listen? Only then do you expand the circle, take two or three with you, confirm every single fact, make the appeal to the brother. If he listens, hallelujah, you've won your brother. What if he won't listen? Only then do you expand the circle after confirming every fact, making the two appeals, bring it to the church. What if he won't listen? Treat him as a Gentile or a tax collector. How does the church treat Gentiles and tax collectors, unbelievers? Seeks to win them. This is all about winning and restoration. Now, Peter just heard this. And I know Peter. He's got a foot-shaped mouth because he's always putting his foot in it. And Peter, I love him. He's always saying what I was thinking. And Peter asked Jesus, how many times? Now, put... Put it in Peter's perspective. He's heard this, and he's thinking, I've got people that have done me wrong. And the going rate from the rabbis for forgiveness was three. And they got it from the Bible in the book of Amos. Three times if the enemies of Israel sin against you, boom, they're going to get judged. So Peter's pretty cool. He's like, I mean, I doubled it and added one. Seven. Aren't you proud of me, Jesus? Peter, you did it again. Not seven. Seventy times seven. Okay, 491, then I don't have to forgive them? No. What Jesus is saying is it's countless. Forgiveness from the heart is always countless. It never thinks this way. You've crossed the line too much. Unforgivable. Never. It's countless. It never stops. 1 Corinthians 13 says, Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs. If the love of God is within you, forgiveness is countless. Why in the world would God ask us to do that? Because his forgiveness toward us is countless. How many of you confessed your sins today? Jesus didn't say, here you go again, you're out too much, you crossed the line. Never. It's countless. And who are you? 
You're bought with his blood. You're a child of God. And you're to reflect his character. And in the area of forgiveness in this culture, folks, we need to model this desperately. When you cross a Christian, a follower of Christ, and you do them wrong, countless forgiveness. Are we known for that? I wish we were. Let me tell you something. It's going to get really quiet in here. But, and it's already started. And because this is going to mess with you the way it's messed with me. And by the time we get to the fourth C, you're going to be saying, Lord, have mercy. So let's go to the second C. Forgiveness from the heart is costly. Say that with me. Forgiveness from the heart is costly. Listen to verses 23 to 27. For this reason, because forgiveness from the heart is countless, for this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king. Here's your parable. Who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him, watch this, 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, Jesus is using exaggerated words. It'd be like a gazillion. I mean, it's infinite. It's no ending. But he defines the gazillion, 10,000 talents. Now, a talent was equal to 20 years labor. 20 years. That's a talent. And Jesus says, 10,000 talents Guess what? That's 200,000 years of labor. Whoa, that's the national debt. Herod's kingdom took in 900 talents a year. This is 10,000 talents. It's mega huge. And then he says, But since he did not have the means to repay... His Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that they had and repayment be made. That was a common practice, debtor's prison. So the slave fell on the ground, prostrated himself before him saying, have patience with me and I will repay you everything. I bet you he's rolling his eyes. Yeah, right. You're going to repay the national debt. Give me a break. But look at this. His Lord The Lord of the slave, three things, felt compassion, released him, and forgave him his debt. Do you know why it's costly? Who absorbs that debt? The king does. He's out a lot of money. It cost him dearly. And every single time you forgive somebody... It cost you. I'm not going to make you pay. I bear the brunt. Nobody likes doing this. But who did it for you? That's the whole point. It's costly. Now, the 10,000 talents, the king is forgiving him. It's amazing. And look at the three words. You've got to camp here. He felt compassion for him. He felt compassion, not contempt. If you study the life of Christ, the number one character quality comes up in Jesus in the Gospels is his compassion. His compassion cost him to forgive you. If you don't forgive people who wrong you, here's what will definitely happen to you. The person who wrong you, you'll begin to caricature them. Like those things on the beach on vacation, you get your picture drawn and they might emphasize your ears and they're too big, a big caricature. You think of that person and all you can see is liar, thief, and you characterize them. And then you do this. You exclude them from the human race. You liar. And you exclude yourself from the community of sinners. If you don't forgive somebody, face it, you think their sin is worse than your sin. I would never. Oh, really? What would God say about that? And you always feel superior to them. You can't have a lack of forgiveness without feeling superior. 
Jesus says, if I've got your heart and somebody wrongs you, the first thing that ought to show up is what I gave you, compassion, not content. And then it says he released him. There it is. If I release you from that debt, I've got to absorb the debt. It's going to cost me dearly. Think about the king. He could be misunderstood, cheap grace, poor administrator. It cost him to forgive. It always cost us to forgive people. And then he forgave him. He released him. He let him go. Now here's what we need to face biblically. There is never forgiveness without a cost, ever. Hebrews 9.22 says this, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. And that's in the context of us with God. And God is a God of justice, absolute holiness. And when you sin, there's a sin debt. And he cannot and will not ever overlook it. If he did, he wouldn't be just and holy. Somebody's got to pay. And our God entered the human race in the person of Christ and bore the weight of the wrath of God. It cost him. He shed the blood of Christ to forgive us. It's always costly. So what about justice then? I mean, if I forgive them, where's the justice? God never overlooks justice. And he supports appealing to a third party for justice. And we should have that. When the Pope was shot, the man went to jail and the Pope went to the man and said, I forgive you in the name of Christ. But guess what? The man stayed in jail. You can forgive and have justice at the same time. What you're not to do is have revenge. Taking the law into my own hands and I'm coming after you. I'll make you pay. And in my own spirit, I'll replay the record and give bad reports on you and disdain you. You can't do that if you're a Christian. You bear the brunt and release them. And if you will not do this, Here's what you must face about yourself. You have downplayed the reality of your own sin. You really don't think you're that bad. Compared to them, I'm a saint because I got a movie to prove it that I put in my mind. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're church people. We've memorized that verse, but we downplay it. I mean, that's not a big deal. Oh, it's not a big deal. Well, it's big enough that Jesus had to die to get you in. It's a big deal. You're more sinful than you ever believed. James 2.10 says, if you've broken the law in one point, you're guilty of all. Every last one of us could stand before a holy God and what we deserve is judgment and damnation and we have a huge sin debt and Jesus bore the cost for that sheer grace. That's who I am. And so if it's grabbed my heart, then I'm willing to imitate Jesus. You know, if you go through the Bible and ask the question, how do I know God loves me? The answer is always the same exact answer. It takes you to the cross. God so loved the world, he gave his only son. We know love is demonstrated by Christ dying for us when we were yet sinners. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. He loved us first. So, according to Jesus, forgiveness from the heart is countless and it's costly. So number three, it's comparative. Forgiveness from the heart is comparative. Listen to 28 to 33. The slave went out and found. Look at this guy's heart. He went out after he had been forgiven the national debt, but his heart was not touched. He went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred dinaria. Please don't miss the comparative. He was forgiven 200,000 years of labor. 
And this guy owes him 100 days. So he's got standing behind him, Mount Everest has been forgiven, and there's a little pebble right here, and he won't forgive it. He went out and found the guy who owed him that, and look at this, very action-oriented, seized him, began to choke him, pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground, began to plead with him, saying, have patience with me, and I will repay you. Same exact speech, but he was unwilling, went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what he owed. So when his fellow slaves saw that this has happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported it to the Lord, all that had happened. Now the Lord represents God. And the people of God see unforgiveness in the church. You ought to go tell the Lord. And Matthew 18 tells us how to deal with it. Then summoning him, the Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have had, and he mentions it twice, mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? Every time you refuse to forgive somebody, here's what you're doing. You stop comparing. Your huge debt that Jesus forgave you, you ignore it. And all you focus on is somebody wronged me. And that's all you see. And you're deceived. And it begins to corrode your heart. Jesus is talking about forgiveness from the heart. And so this, he says, you wicked slave. You can be a follower of Jesus and have a wicked heart. And if you're sitting here right now and you will not forgive somebody, you've got a wicked heart. You've lined up with hell. You've lined up with the accuser of the brethren. You're a pollutant in the body of Christ. You're feeding a root of bitterness. You've opened the door to the enemy. You are the problem. And God says, make the comparison and let your heart break and then pass that forgiveness along. He mentions mercy twice. I gave you mercy. What is mercy? It's withholding what you deserve. You deserve judgment. I withhold it and I bear the weight in your place. Look at the mercy and stop lasering in on how bad you've been hurt and ignoring the mountain of forgiveness that brought you into the kingdom of God. Now, how many of you have dogs? Bless you. Put those hands high. Bless you, dog owners. How many of you have cats? Kind of bless you. <laughs> so if you're a dog... Here's how you think about your master. You feed me. You love me. You pet me. You must be God. If you're a cat, here's how you think. You feed me. You pet me. You love me. I must be God. <laughs> Listen to me. If you won't forgive from your heart, you got a cat's heart. <laughs> and here's how that works. Well, of course, God would forgive me. I mean, it's me we're talking about. But that creep who wronged me, of course he won't forgive them. There it is. No comparative. I totally ignore it. I'm only thinking about you. And I think I'm a pretty good dude. No, you're wicked. That's what Jesus said. You're wicked. Repent and make the comparison. Here's what he's saying. Did you get it? This is convicting. The evidence that you've truly received forgiveness from Jesus and you've truly been born again and you truly have a new heart, the evidence is that you forgive people who wrong you. And if you don't, listen to me, Grace isn't amazing to you. It's just a concept. 
Yeah, I know, Jesus died for me and forgave me. Uh Hard heart, cat-like, you're in trouble. Sorry, if you're a cat lover, you're going to have to forgive me. (laughs) (laughs) Ephesians 4, 32 to 5, 2 says this. Be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. It goes on to say, be imitators of God. Isn't that powerful? Would you like to know what God is like? Show me a Christian who gives out forgiveness all the time. That's God. Show me what Satan is like. A Christian who's an accuser, easily offended, bitter, and a pollutant in the body of Christ. The enemy's got you. Repent. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says this, Church family, see to it. Red alert, see to this. No one comes short of the grace of God. Now, what does that mean? Coming short of the grace of God means this. God, thank you for your amazing grace. Thank you for your forgiveness. Hallelujah. But don't you dare ask me to pass it along to that jerk. It stops right here. You've come short of the grace of God. You're a Dead Sea Christian, not a Sea of Galilee Christian. I've been to Israel four times. I love the Sea of Galilee. In the northern part near Dan, there's these beautiful springs, and it flows into the Jordan River right into the Sea of Galilee, abundant marine life. And out the other end, that fresh water and all marine life flows down the Jordan River into the Dead Sea. Do you know why it's called dead? Nothing lives. Nothing. Now think about it. The only difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea, one difference. This one has an outlet. This one doesn't. I only take in. I don't give out. And if you make the comparison, you'll give out. That's what he's driving at. Change. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Well, I'll forgive, but only if they ask. If they don't ask, I don't have to forgive them. 2 Corinthians 5.19 on you. (laughs) 2 Corinthians 5.19 says this. God is not counting your sins against you. Do you know the context of that? You're an ambassador of Christ. Go tell everybody you meet, listen to this good news. God's not counting your sins against you. He counted them against Christ. You have a pardon. Receive the pardon. They haven't even asked yet. Did Jesus wait to forgive you till you ask? Never. So you can't hide behind that. Whether they ask for forgiveness or not, this is about your heart releasing them. So let's get real practical about it. I've developed what I call a covenant of reconciliation. It has five steps. And here is an amazing thing about God. When I develop this, and every time I've met with people trying to reconcile, and they actually follow the steps, every time there's been amazing reconciliation. Every time. Now, there are five steps. Most people get the first two and ignore the last three, and that's the problem. Step number one, get the offended parties in a room and facilitate this. You need to understand each other's perspectives. You do not have to agree, just understand. So be able to state their perspective as well as they could. Do it to each other. And part of this covenant is... I now understand your perspective. Yep, good. Second step. Now that I understand your perspective and you understand mine, I'm going to look you in the eye and say the words, I was wrong for, or I forgive you for, you were forgiven. Forgiveness, part of our covenant. Now that's where it usually stops, and that's the problem. Because you can walk out of the room and here's what begins to happen. Because we've all got wicked hearts. I start replaying the record. Well, they were more sinful than me. I understand it, but they didn't understand me well enough. And I might even spread a bad report or two. And you begin to slip. 
So the third step of this covenant of reconciliation is you look each other in the eye and you say this, when I walk out of this room, I won't play the old record anymore. I refuse. Instead, when you come to mind and what you did to me, I forgive you and I pronounce a blessing over you and I'll intercede for you like Christ intercedes for me. I'll quit playing the record. You both agree. There's another step that's often missed, and that is when you walk out of the room and I forgive you, you will probably slip because you've probably told other people about it, and you'll go feed it again, and you'll report and slope it so you're a saint and they're a sinner. So part of the covenant of reconciliation is this. You look each other in the eye and you say, I will no longer give a bad report on you. And if I've done it, I'll go make it right. And you can trust me, not coming out of my mouth. I'll only give good reports on you. And there's one fifth step left. Can't be missed. Everybody slips because we're sinful. So the last part of the covenant, you look at each other and say, when I slip, listen to me, I'll come back to you and I'll make it right. You can count on it. Now you go through those five steps. You can't do it unless you're making the comparison. Look at what I've been forgiven. Yours is a tiny speck by comparison. Now, Roger Tanius, and the way I memorized his name, Tanius, you're going to get Tan, Tanius. Roger Tanius is an intern at Cherrydale, a pastoral intern, love him to death, graduated from West Point, seminary grad. He wanted some intense discipling on shepherding in the context of a local church, and he's going to come share a testimony about what this looks like in everyday life, and please welcome Roger Tanius. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your sovereign care. Thank you, Pastor Steve, for this opportunity. And thank you, Reston Bible Church, for the opportunity to speak with you this morning. What a passage, huh? Immediately, when I think about the four C's, the C that impacts me the most is comparative. Comparative. Forgiveness must be comparative. And forgiveness that is comparative sits under the meta-narrative of forgiveness from the heart. So when you think of forgiveness that is comparative, it sits under forgiveness from the heart. For me, God is shepherding me in this passage to understand forgiveness as character change. It's a character change. God's working on me. He's working on us inside. For so long... I've thought of forgiveness as white-knuckled obedience to God. You know, this is something that God tells me to do, right? And as a Christian, I'm going to forgive you. That's not what the Lord is saying here. He sees forgiveness as character change. Here's a fresh wound that I have. Can, can I be real with you guys? Here's a fresh wound. On Friday night... A group of brothers who I mentor in a Bible study, they took me out to dinner. So these are my guys. These are guys I mentor. And I'm the Bible study leader, so I have to be on my best behavior all the time, right? If only it was that easy. Now, when it came time to order a round of water, the waitress gave all the guys water. And for some reason, when she got to me, she stopped. She looked at me and said, what's wrong with the water right in front of you? I was like, yeah, I was shocked. I was like flabbergasted. I was like, what is going on? Did the guys put her up to this? What is going on? And so I'm the Bible study leader, right? I got to maintain it. So, you know, I just kept quiet. But as the water bullying persisted the entire night, let's just say I didn't handle the situation the way I wish I had. Have you guys ever been in a situation like that where afterwards you're like, man, I didn't handle that the way I should have. 
So now there's two people I have to forgive. Myself, and I have to forgive the waitress. Verse 33 immediately spoke to my heart. Listen to it again. Should you not also have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? This is forgiveness for me. You see, as I meditate on the awesome sacrifice of what the triune God has done for me on the cross, he's erased my sin. But this is also forgiveness for her. Because I am commanded, you are commanded, to extend, watch this, the same measure of forgiveness. It's comparative. And finally, forgiveness must come from the heart. Not white-knuckled. Not just because God tells you. It's got to come from your heart. Like Pastor Steve says, it's a change. How do you do this? How do you have gospel-centered, comparative forgiveness that comes from the heart? During the first service, a brother came up to me and said, yeah, great, but how do you do this? Here's how you do it. It's about being blown away by the incredible kindness of what God has done from you from the heart. It's not just here. You're blown away by it. And you're blown away here in your heart. So I apologized to the waitress. And in a strange way, while I was writing this testimony, I thanked the Lord for that experience. Thank you, Roger. Okay, everybody, thank you, Roger. Ready for the last C? Oh, Lord, have mercy. Here it comes. Let's see if we've got them so far. Forgiveness from the heart is countless. Forgiveness from the heart is costly. Forgiveness from the heart is comparative. Here it comes. Forgiveness from the heart is consequential. Say that with me. Forgiveness from the heart is consequential. Listen to what Jesus said. And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. According to Jesus, the heart of every issue is the issue of the heart. And if your heart is an unforgiving heart, he said he'd hand you over to the torturers. What in the world does that mean? If you're sitting here today and you are not forgiving somebody, maybe it's gone on for years, you know exactly what he means. Here's how it works. When you come to know Christ, you begin to move so that God himself, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is your emotional, your mental, relational focus in life. You love him. And it changes your heart. And then somebody wrongs you and you won't forgive them. Suddenly you shift your focus toward that jerk who did you wrong. And when you shift your focus, you're no longer focusing on God's love. You've forgotten that. You focus on how wrong you've been treated. And you begin to play a record and give bad reports and feel, feel bitterness. And that focus, if it goes on long enough, changes your heart and you become just like the jerk that did you wrong. And it curses you twice because you not only won't forgive, now you're out of whack with God. And you've been handed over to the torturers in your spirit. This is why Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one comes short of the gross of grace of God and no root of bitterness spring up. And here's what torturing looks like. You become three things. You become a gardener. You garden that little root of bitterness. You water it. You feed it. And it grows up. And year after year, you can have this pollute your life. You're a gardener of bitterness. 
And then you become a movie maker in your mind. And you replay it over and over, and they are a demon and you're a saint. You're much more righteous than that jerk. And then you become a reporter. You give a bad report on whoever that is. And you replay the movie in giving the bad report, and you feed more bitterness. And don't you agree that they're a jerk, and how dare they? And you've been handed over to the torturers. You're no longer an intercessor, you're an accuser. You're no longer a blessing, you're full of bitterness. And you are tortured in your spirit and out of fellowship with God. When I was in my very first church in Portland, Oregon, two weeks on the job, this landed right in my lap and almost wiped me out from the beginning. This church, I joined it as a pastoral intern, and I ended up becoming their lead pastor. And the church had a nickname at seminary, Preacher Killer. And I'd watched them kill off four. It was a rough church, but some good saints in it. And there was one particular lady in the church who was mouthy, critical, bossy. And I was on the second week in my job, in my study, getting ready for Sunday. And normally my secretary protects me, but she got by my secretary, walked right into my office, stood in front of my desk, just like this. And then she began to lecture me. And from what I remember, it was basically this. You know the way you made announcements Sunday? It was stupid. Did you hear me? I said stupid. I mean, just tore me up and then walked out of my office. I hate to admit it, I could picture myself choking her. <laughs> I, I wanted to run down the hall and have my first funeral. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was awful. I mean, hatred in my heart. She touched a nerve. And I, oh, my goodness, I was in a bad place. And it was about lunchtime, and I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll go home and talk to my wife, Maybell. She, she'll agree what a creep she is. <laughs> I'll discipline her. And so I went home, told May the whole story. She listened patiently, and I hate it when she does this. She said, oh, thanks for sharing. And guess what I read in the Word of God this morning? <laughs> and I said, what? 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9, don't you want to hear it? Not really. Well, I'm telling you anyway, not returning evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead, for you were called for this purpose that you might inherit a blessing. Thanks for sharing, Maybell. <laughs> oh, wait, Steve, I'm not done. I have a suggestion. Why don't we invite that lady and her husband over for dinner this week? She won't put her foot in my house. And then I caught myself, what am I doing? I mean, two weeks on the job, and she's right. So we invited them to dinner, and I got the whole rest of the story, thank God. That little lady had been deeply wounded by pastor after pastor, and she adored me. And she got into her mind, I want to test to see if he's real. She created the most obnoxious thing she could think of and dumped it on me. And she became my prayer warrior. She gave me a heart for global missions. She was so wonderful to me. And she's now in heaven. And I've thought a thousand times, what if I had not forgiven her? I'd have wiped out in two weeks. You've got people in your life that are tempting you to wipe out. There are consequences. Listen, Christians don't just believe this stuff. Mayo Clinic, great article on forgiveness. Listen to these wise words. When someone you care about hurts you, you can hold on to anger, resentment, and thoughts of revenge, or embrace forgiveness and move forward. Forgiveness means different things to different people. Generally, however, it involves a decision to let go of resentment and thoughts of revenge. And then they list 
eight positive things that all research shows will flood into your life if you're a forgiver. Healthier relationships, improved mental health, less anxiety and stress and hostility, lower blood pressure, fewer symptoms of depression, stronger immune system, improved health from the heart, improved self-esteem. And then five things that will pollute your life if you won't forgive. You'll bring anger and bitterness into every relationship and new experience. You'll become so wrapped up in the wrong that you can't enjoy the present. You'll become depressed or anxious. You'll feel that life lacks meaning or purpose and you're at odds with your spiritual beliefs. God left. You'll lose valuable, enriching connections with others. The Bible totally agrees with that. In November of 2015, Time magazine arrived at our home. I read it regularly. It's such theological truth. <laughs> you know it's not. And, but it keeps me updated. That day I was shocked. I sat down and read it immediately because sprawled across the front, what it takes to forgive a killer. And the article described in 24 pages, June the 17th, 2015, Charleston, South Carolina, a young man was welcomed into a Wednesday night Bible study in Emmanuel Church. And they were studying Mark 4, the sower of the seeds. He went through the Bible study, the pastor closed in prayer, and then at the end of the prayer, he took out a gun and murdered the pastor and nine people. And later he declared that he was a white supremacist and his purpose to, was to provoke a race riot in the Old South. 36 hours after the killings, family members of the victims stood in a small courthouse and expressed mercy and forgiveness to the killer. I'm reading from Time magazine now. Listen to this. The amazing grace that showed the, they showed the killer was a divine intervention. It launched a grace movement instead of a race war. It electrified the nation, ending the debate over the Confederate flag, which came down from the state house and spurred countless others to celebrate grace instead of hate. Now, after the shooting, Nancy Gibbs, the chief editor of Time magazine, sent two of her best reporters to go study this case and to study one issue, forgiveness. They were there from August 2nd to September the 15th. They went to every Bible study, every church service, took hours attending rallies, drove the routes the same victims had uh, driven, over 150 interviews, some two hours, three hours, eight hours over a period of weeks, they carefully traced the amazing grace the survivors had shown. Now I'm quoting Time Magazine again. Listen to this. The forgivers of Charleston trace their beliefs to a communion of forebearers. This culture has been nurtured in churches that promise someday the vindication of the just, the liberation of the captive, and the exaltation of the downtrodden. They worship a teacher who forgave those who crucified him even as he was dying on the cross. 24 pages and listen to the conclusion. For months in the aftermath of the Mother Emanuel killings, during scores of interviews across dozens of hours, this question of forgiveness was scrutinized, teased from every direction. And this is the conclusion. What happened after Charleston was not a matter of snap judgments or ill-chosen words. It is an expression of genuine hearts. The nine lost lives belong to church folk, Wednesday people, true believers, and their family members all in their own ways sought to honor that and give them a victory despite the hatred killers. Tell me that Time Magazine doesn't preach the gospel. There it is. 
But what was the avenue that put it on the front page? Somebody who was a Christian had forgiveness in their heart. Now, you've got a fabulous pastor in Mike Mentor. 47 years in this church. I know the kind of spirit he spreads. He's a forgiver. Please hear me rest in Bible. Whoever's coming to replace Mike, please let him walk into an environment of forgivers. And I'm telling you, you'll go another hundred years. Who knows how God will use you? Hear me. If you're sitting here listening to this today and you're saying in your heart, not doing it. May God have mercy on you because you're going to be handed over to the torturers. You have no idea what's coming your way. So I beg you to repent. And you can't be a forgiver. You can't until you embrace the mountain of forgiveness that costs Jesus everything to give you. So let's go back to the four C's. Because I'm asking you, go teach it to somebody. Make this your go-to passage. Let's review, say them out loud, the four C's together. Forgiveness from the heart is countless, costly, comparative, consequential. But wait, there's more. There's another C, Christ. So please put Jesus in here. It'll change everything. Christ's forgiveness toward you, countless, countless. Christ's forgiveness toward you cost him everything, costly. Christ's forgiveness toward you, he always makes the comparison. Little offense, look what I forgave you. Make the comparison. I love you. Forgive. And it's consequential. Jesus never stops praying for his church. He knows your heart. And if there's a root of bitterness, he is praying for you right now. Please let go of it and be on first string in my redemption and restoration movement. Let Christ work through us. So let's pray together and do some business with God. If you've never personally trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior, that he died for you and rose again, please do it right now. Just ask him to come into your life, forgive you, and give you a new heart. And Lord, you know all of our hearts and all of our circumstances, and this is hard. Please shepherd us that we would take these four C's and burn them into our lives. And we thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace and for your faithfulness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.